0: When police officers see what these gentlemen have been through, they realize that oh, you know what? I can't treat people on the street like a, a number or just another call. They're people. They all have stories, uh, and and you three are a success story, really. Is
1: that- From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey.
2: All right, welcome. Well, uh, we're just going to jump right into it because I have at least three questions to ask. Uh, My name is Foncho and uh, Brent Sekondiak, welcome to uh, OCJ from Darkness to Life. Thank you for uh, making time for us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, I know actually the last time I saw you was this past summer. You were walking down the sidewalk, and you recognized me before I recognized you. And I always love the fact that you gave me the uh, the double click salute. You know, when you say hello with your hands and you do the click click thing the cop thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let, let's start with um, we start every podcast the same way, and we ask each other how we're doing. Not in the typical "How are you good?" not really listening to an answer kind of response, but really how are how are you really, Brent? What's on your mind this morning? What did you wake up thinking of?
0: Oh, I woke up early. Uh, really, I usually get up at about four, but I think it was up at about 3.30 this morning and and uh, thinking about the day and thinking about this and really contemplating kind of what I wanted to say around addictions and mental health. And I so I, I do my morning routine and then I got to work and I looked at the there's a log we have, a sergeant's log on all the arrests and things that happened the day before. And I saw we had five form tens yesterday. And a form ten is uh, under the Mental Health Act. It's when we arrest and convey to the hospital. So five in one day is a lot for us. Uh, so I was thinking this morning, like, wow, what? How timely is is this? Because uh, it's addictions and mental health really. It's one of the primary focuses of what I do every day at work, and uh, it's such a it's such a big, huge topic. It really is. So that's what that's what's on my mind lately.
2: Let's talk about what it is that you do. Do uh, int- introduce yourself as our guest. Let's do it that way this morning. Sure.
0: Well, my name is Brent Sikondiak. I'm I'm an inspector with the police service. So we have uh, three inspectors and three divisions. It's broken down to so. I've been in all three, but currently I'm in operations, which means I oversee patrols. So all the members and mark cars you see driving around are downtown units. So the three members you'll see walking around downtown.
2: Hey, is Jason Mulligan a part of that? I saw him yesterday.
0: JVM is part of that, yeah. He's he's part of the downtown team. He's uh, I...
2: And obviously everybody's masked up because of COVID, but I can recognize th- those eyes and that body anywhere. So I always give him the big wave when I see him. Always makes me smile when I run into him. Yeah, he's so happy. Jason. Happy to have him downtown. And you know what? Especially more than ever, we need that happiness. We we need that positivity. So you mentioned these uh, the what the ten four forms, the ten forms, the form ten, forms? yeah, form ten, form ten, and that has to do with the. Uh, mental health? Have you seen a lot of mental health cases increase this year? Or I shouldn't say this year, we're 2021, referencing 2020.
0: Right. Uh, the numbers are high. So it, it's pretty close to the same as last year, but um, we've had up to 1300 mental health calls in a year. I think it's over, it was over a thousand for last year. We'll have the final numbers right away. But if you think that's about just over three a day, which is yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's there's a lot that um, a lot of files we go to criminal files have a component to either addictions or mental health. I would say most of the calls we go to have some type of component to that. So it's so complex and that's why we we realize that we got to do more, there's more we can do. We've started up a couple of, of PAC team and Ryan's been a part of that, but we've had to we had to augment it this year because of resources so mm but it's a huge part of what we do and and having an addiction or a mental health issue isn't a crime. And we've said that for years, it's not. And, but a lot of times people will commit offenses in order to uh, either, you know, get necessities of life, food, clothing. Sometimes when you're on uh, some of the drugs we see here in the city, opiates or methamphetamine, you're not thinking straight and they'll do things just kind of out of action. So, It's something we deal with way too often, multiple times a day.
2: Three a day, I had absolutely no idea. If you would have told me one every three days, I would have been, yeah, okay. But I mean, to think that you have to look after more than a thousand calls a year that have everything to do with mental health. Do you think there's a huge correlation uh, between, let's say, drugs and mental health and traveling down that rabbit hole?
0: Yeah, I, I know there is. Uh, it's so complex, though. But, it, I mean, there's people that have addictions issues, and, and the reason behind those, there's there's a lot, and I'm not an expert on it, but I know trauma can, can lead people to have addictions. I know genetics can lead people to have addictions. I know the way people are raised in their upbringing, if that's uh, normalized, that can lead to addictions. So there's so many reasons. And it's really the same with mental health. Uh uh, some of it's genetic. Some of it's because of drugs. Some of it's because of trauma, and people have different coping mechanisms. So it's so complex, and I, I don't think our response is complex enough. I really think it has to be. I equate uh, what what it sh- what we should be doing to to physical fitness. If you if you want to get in shape, there's different body types. There's different people metabolize. Different ways. So if you, if you go to a trainer, they'll say, okay, you're this body type, you need to eat this, you need to do this much cardio. But we don't do that for addictions or mental health. We, we say everything should be harm reduction or, or this way. But it, it doesn't work. It should be individualized and, and tailored to the needs of that mm-hmm. person. Some people can stop uh, using a drug, cold turkey, and it works for them. Some people are on hard drugs, heroin opiates fentanyl and taking that away on day one is hard but so i mean we're supportive of harm reduction but it's harm reduction with a plan yet you, you have to have uh, all of those treatments in place and you have mm-hmm. to have a goal and an end date and you have to stick to it that that's kind of my thought around it it's a lot it's so individualized and oftentimes we just come across with this global statement this is what you have to do mm-hmm. and it doesn't work it doesn't work for everyone
3: Absolutely. We've talked nope. about that. Sorry, Poncho. We've talked about that lots, you know, Rick and I and Damien and what worked for me, maybe didn't work for Rick, mm-hmm. didn't work for Damien, isn't going to work for the next person, but it's, you nailed it. It's individual per person. We got to figure this out.
4: Yeah. Even our three solutions, like, you know, we've all battled our own demons, right. And, uh, even our, our, our solutions have varied, mm-hmm. you know, and so there is a huge component of what works for me might not work for you. Right.
3: Totally.
2: The other voices you're hearing, uh, Rick and Ryan, huge parts of OCJ, and they have their own stories to tell of which you can find on some of our other podcasts. Brent, so with an increase of calls, I guess, concerning uh, addictions and mental health, why do you think that is? Do you you think that as a society, we're not coping with stress as well as we used to. Do you think it's because we have a lot more stress in our lives? Do you think maybe mental health is gaining more public attention and, and is maybe that a reason why you're seeing an increase of calls as well? I, th- I think it's probably
0: all of those things. Uh, again, it's so we've always gone to mental health calls, but it's, it's more, it's not as uh, frowned upon to talk about it and to be open about it, which is a good thing. Uh, And now it's finding a solution and how do we deal with things and groups like, like where these podcasts that we have, and there's so many groups and people that want to help in the community and, and that's really cool. But the causation is, it's so complex. I mean, we have so much information coming at us all the time and, and uh, I mean, I get like that too. I get to the point where I'm stressed. I, I have a phone and it, I get text messages, emails, and it rings 24 seven and people can get overwhelmed and you have to be able to deal with that.
2: Let's talk about how you deal with that because you're on the receiving end of, of all of these calls. So how do you cope?
0: Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I get, I have a lot of social media accounts and I do my best to respond to people, but it's hard for me. It's about, um, I love walking. I, I, I do, I go kayaking all the time. I love the outdoors. And it's just taking that, it's finding a moment in whatever you're doing and just being able to relax, but it's hard. I I use, I don't sleep well. I use different sleep apps uh, all the time and have to change them
2: because they don't work. (laughs) Do you have one of those sleep apnea machines that makes you look like Darth Vader?
0: I don't have one of those, no, CPAC, I think they're called. No, I, I can get to bed quickly, but it doesn't last long. I wake up two, three, four in the morning often.
2: And is that because of, of what's running through your mind or yeah. at least in part?
0: Always. I always thinking, Okay, oh, cool. What do I have to do today? There's always issues looming in the community that, uh, some of them are my responsibility. Uh, so I'll bring them up and talk to the teams and, and I have some strong people that I work with, not only in the police service, but elsewhere in the community, you know, uh, Ryan and Rick here as well. I've, I've worked with, uh, Ryan through, uh, Canadian mental health associations and same with Rick on the board. And so people like that too, that you can reach out and talk to and kind of throw ideas around. I think that's really the key is the, those supports.
2: I think there's been a phrase that we're hearing a lot more of, especially doing what you do. And that would be a uh, mental health check. I imagine you get called out on a lot of those more than ever. Could Can you explain to us what exactly that is, how that works from the moment you get the call to the end of of you answering the call, yeah, it can
0: come in in a bunch of different ways. But it's usually a check on the well being. I haven't talked to this person for a while, or they sent me a text or a message that it's kind of uh, you know phrased that would cause someone some concern. So we do send officers to to these scenes daily, uh, but we're pretty good at, at using different agencies to, to help us. We, I mean, uh, going to mental health calls isn't traditionally a, a police response. Well, I mean, we're, we're tasked in society with law and order and maintaining peace, but there's really no one else to go to these calls. Like we'll call the crisis team, we'll call uh, PAC team, we'll call Ryan, but it's difficult all the time to go to these calls. So- We'll show up. We have officers on every team now that uh, are packed, trained, or it's coming, which is the police in crisis team. And and they'll really talk to people and assess what's going on. If they have to take them to the hospital, we'll always try and get them to come on their own volition. Uh, if they're, if there's crowns there, it's way easier for us to have someone go on themselves. But if it comes down to it, and we have to arrest, arrest someone if they're a danger to themselves or someone else, then, we'll, then we have to. But... More often times than not, we'll be able to go talk to people, uh, assess the risk, uh, and then provide them resources in the community, but we go to these so many times, and it's hard on our members, too. Uh, It is, because one minute they can go to a traffic stop where they're getting yelled at, then they go to a a shoplifting complaint, and then uh, they might have to do a death notification, and then five minutes later, they're dealing with someone who's in crisis, so... Not only is it hard on the people in the community, but uh, I, I frequently think about our members and the and how it
2: affects them. Who would they typically call? I mean, before the police get involved, I, I, I mean, if somebody was struggling with addiction or mental health before they turned to you, <laughs> where did they turn to? because the resources were so so few.
0: Yeah, before us it was probably Alberta Health Services or Canadian Mental Health Association. But again, they're not built, the resources aren't there to respond 24-7, they're not. And oftentimes they're tied in with, it could be a violent offence, somebody's throwing things around, the potential, you know, for, for danger, so we get called. But it's, you know, we don't want to go to these calls. Like, you've heard the calls in the U.S. and really in Canada as well. Why are police going to mental health calls? And... And trust me, we we don't want to be. Uh, We would rather deal with with criminal offenses, but we have to go. There's no one else to go. Um, But I'm so proud of our members, how compassionate they are. I get emails and and letters all the time about, oh, I, I saw one of your officers dealing with, maybe it's a family member or a friend or someone, how compassionate they are. And they do truly care, and... When I put out a, a memo to look for people to join the pack team that Ryan's a part of, um, lots of people applied. So, which is good because they really want to help people, which is awesome. That's why they be- became cops in the first place, right? So, that's really rewarding to me to see the the passion and empathy all of our members have. It's it's really cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, so cops can call each other cops then? That's that's okay. Sure. Yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> Uh, you've mentioned PAC team before. What exactly is that? What do you mean when when you reference a PAC team? So it's a program
0: uh, that the police service initiated maybe three years ago now. Ryan's nodded his head, so it's got to be close. So we realized that there was a lot of calls for two, really, addictions and mental health calls. So I met with Alberta Health Services and... Canadian Mental Health Association. I said, we're going to so many calls related to mental health and addictions. What can we do about it? So we started a team with uh, AHS called PACT, which is the Police and Crisis Team. Uh, And then we started another team, really the same, but for legal purposes, we had to call it something (laughs) else. The Addictions Crisis Team, and that was through Canadian Mental Health. So uh, they worked together and we got through some of the... uh, legal bureaucracy and FOIP's always an issue for big organizations. But, you know, our goal was just to make it work. Like, we're cops, we're going to these calls, we're trained in a million different things. This is, you know, we do our best, but we're not experts, we're not clinicians. So uh, we started up these teams and we're that's where I met Ryan when we started up uh, the ACT team with CMHA and it was awesome. Like, I, I think now... <laughs> we're better than we were there's still a long way to go there's still more we can do but Mm -hmm. we realize that wow there's more we can be doing and when I see the work that uh, you know Rick and uh, Damien and uh, everyone have been doing it's just it's cool so the next few years will be interesting I mean we have some ideas that Rick and I have talked about and Ryan so I I think there'll be a big change coming in the next few years for sure
2: let's say you know somebody that's really struggling, whether it's with addiction or mental health, and you care about them so much that you want to make sure that they don't harm themselves or they don't harm you. Who is the first people that they should reach out to?
0: It really depends on the situation. In my opinion, the police service isn't... If someone's life is in jeopardy, for sure. If someone else's life is in jeopardy, if they're you know, at risk of harm then for sure you should call us first. But there's so many resources in the community through CMHA, Alberta health services. I would reach out to those people first. But again, if there's uh, life safety, then for sure call us.
2: Um, so Ryan, this is to you as well. And Brent, this mm-hmm. is to you as well. Where are the, what are those numbers? Where are those links?
3: How can we access them? And are they easily accessible? Yeah. Uh, as far as you know, like Brent had said, if it's a crisis situation where there's you know some sort of violence or some sort of immediate harm to somebody, that's definitely the right avenue to go is through police. But if somebody's experiencing you know something that's not quite as severe as as violence and that kind of instance or whatever, they can contact me for sure. Uh, the addiction crisis team through Canadian Mental Health, like Brent said, it's a collaboration with the police service and. I have a cell number. I'll give that out in the in the notes at the end of the podcast. If anybody okay. is experiencing a crisis, phone me. Um, and not to say, you know, we've talked about this lots in the podcast and, and just in our travels that, you know, it's not a quick fix. I'm not going to be able to show up with a Superman cape and fix everything that day, but it's the start of the process, right? Because it's a long process to healing and and eventually recovery if that's the end goal. But, you know, that's the first step is to reach out and, and find the resources. And that's what we do is we help people find those resources.
2: And a lot of those links and a lot of those resources are available on the OCJ Facebook page. I just wanted to make note of how much you guys care. Ryan, you said when you
3: give out your number, like that's your own personal phone number. Yeah, absolutely, right? Like it's kind of a a fine line to walk because I do have my professional role with Canadian mental health as part of the addiction crisis team. So that is what Brent was talking about earlier is that collaboration, right? If it's a crisis situation and uh, I've attended some of these crisis situations with members of the police service and I've witnessed firsthand a lot of these members and their compassion and their empathy. Um, a lot of times I've recommended that we bring in the the PAC team, the rest of the police service, and I can tell those individuals on the spot that it's going to be an interaction with police that you've probably never had before, right? It's going to be a lot different. It's going to be compassion and empathy. These guys that are showing up, these ladies are, are there to get you to where you need to be, right? They're more concerned with quality of life than they are writing a ticket or apprehending someone. So We're all on the same side, aren't we? Oh, absolutely, man. And it was mind blowing when I first got part of that role and, and was part of the addiction crisis team and working with Constable Funk and, and uh, with Brent you know, just to see the compassion in that room, right? It's not like <laughs> you see on TV and, and and just the stereotypical police force, right? It's pretty amazing atmosphere and it's pretty cool to be part of. Well, you guys give a
2: shit. You give, you genuinely and sincerely care. I, I mean, Brent, earlier in this podcast, we were talking about that, You have trouble sleeping because you can't shut off your mind because of all of the mental health calls and all of the addiction issues that you're dealing with, you know? And I I think that's a testament to you and the entire OCJ crew that we genuinely, you genuinely care. Brent, something that I also wanted to ask you, it's incredibly stressful on, on you and your staff. So do you have opportunities to de-stress. Do you have things in place that you can ensure that you and your team are are mentally safe?
0: Yeah, we do. Uh, I think there's more we can do. So a few years ago, we hired a, a psychologist. She's part-time, uh, but she comes into the police service. Her name's Dr. Gail Eastman. And she's really trained in dealing with our members. And we have another program called Peer Support. So, you know, we're cops, we hang out, we know each other quite well, and you can tell when somebody else is stressed or or their um, behavior changes. So hmm. that's when we really link them up with our peer support team. Uh, you're right. I mean, and this is new. I mean, there's uh, there's cops that have been around, I've been here 20, almost 22 years, and we had nothing like it was... Uh, go for a drink or we'd sit around after work and and just bullshit together but things have changed Uh, it's a lot more professional there's a lot more programs in place the city has a good uh, EAP so that stands for Employee Assistance Program that we can contact so we've done a lot of programming here and it's night and day I've been to you know some bad scenes homicide scenes and we never used to do anything it was just You walk away. But now, uh, with all these programs in place, we make them go to these uh, critical incident meetings. We make them talk to Dr. Eastman, um, and we have their peers check up on them to see how they're doing. So I'm proud of that. I know there's more we can do on that as well, but uh, it's come a long way, even in the last 10 years, for sure.
2: You've been a cop for 20 years. You look fantastic, by the way. I started
0: when I was 12, so...
2: (laughs) With a bobby, with a cap, with a cap gun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you must exfoliate. <laughs> you said something interesting as well that you can tell, you can you can read the signs. Are there signs that we should be looking for? You know, as as a layperson, when we're surrounded by our friends and our family, and you get that gut feeling, that intuition, going. You know what? There's there's just something there's just something on this person's mind. Is is there things that we can be aware of? I, I guess, obviously the first thing that comes to mind would be a big change in their normal behavior, you know, from their baseline. Yeah,
0: you said it. Uh, to me, it's when police officers be, start becoming short and abrupt with people. And usually you know their personality. Now, don't get me wrong. There's police officers that are short and abrupt on a good day, but well, you're right. It's that change of behavior. So if you know someone, they're really laid back and they start becoming short and abrupt with people, uh, late you know late for work's a big one uh, if they're late for work, but it's just that general hmm. withdrawn change in behavior. But I, I think everybody's unique and some people probably hide it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I know officers at work that uh, gone through tough times and it's really because you know them, and you're like something's not right here. Maybe I should reach out and talk to their family or close friends and see what's going on and get them the help so generally you're right it's those change of behaviors and and just looking for little signs all the time
2: and I know a lot of the times and i'm I'm very guilty those close to me know something's not right with me, and they'll press me, and they'll press me and and I don't know why but I, I refuse to talk about it. So when that happens, what do you do? Do you suggest that they speak to family to speak to the person in question who's suffering? What, yeah. do, you, what do you do then?
0: That's a tough one, but um, I think it's, it's getting that inner circle, the people that you're close. I've, I've been in the same boat. I've been through, uh, I remember the Richardson homicide. I hate talking about it, but 15 years ago this year, Totally stressful for me. Uh, Seen a bad scene that I don't even like uh, thinking about. But um, so I went through. It was, it was a long time. It was years where I didn't think about it and talk about it. Locked it all in a box. And then court came, brought up all those emotions again. And it was my wife that said, "You know what? You're something's wrong. You're not dealing with this well. You know what's going on?" And you know, tough cop, I'm uh, fine. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just constantly talking to those people and look for warning signs uh, drinking's a big one of them or or kind of risky risk-taking behaviors for police officers anyway but and, and then just being able to open it up and I mean my wife is and my family are everything to me and when she says something I, I listen so I was like yeah probably should talk to somebody about this and get some help and, and it, it worked for me I, I can talk uh, about, you know, some of the things that I've seen, but Richardson was by far the worst. Uh,
2: so speaking, that's a huge first step, then com- communicating, sharing those feelings. And I I think a reason why that's become so difficult, especially when it comes to mental health, is because there's been that stereotype, that stigma, that if you can't see it, if you can't smell it, if you can't hear it, it must not exist. So communication is incredibly key. I want to back up. Uh, do police officers require more training because they're dealing with different issues concerning mental health and not necessarily criminal activity anymore?
0: For sure. Our, our training, our cadet training has changed now. And, and Ryan's done a lot of the training um, for mental health. There's still more to do um, in that. But yeah, we, we train them not only in the Mental Health Act, but how to de-escalate a situation. Uh, how to go into a crisis situation and really diffuse that. So, And then we have ongoing training. We have negotiators at the police service that are awesome at what they do. Uh, Ryan talked about Travis Funk. He's had a meeting with him yesterday. There is a guy that's so good at de-escalating situations and talking to people from
2: a police Why perspective. Do you- Why do you think that is? Why do you, why do you think? And I love talking to the guy. I, I really do. And I think anybody that knows him would say the same thing. So what skill set does he have that makes him so fantastic at what he does? And the reason I ask is maybe, you know, maybe we can let some of that sink in into, into our minds as well. I think it's
0: his experience and his training and he's just you know he's got a a good personality for it he's uh, he's blunt with people but he's been in I don't know how many mental health calls he's been to but for sure it's in the thousands and he's he's been there and he just he understands it I know he's taking extra schooling right now in the in that realm of psychology mm-hmm. so I think it's just his his experience in in that world. He's he's we're lucky to have him and he's
3: awesome at it. Yeah. If I can I, just jump in there quick for a sec, Poncho. I've it's it's funny.
2: I, I was gonna gonna turn to you nice. and, and ask you the same thing as somebody who's not a police officer, how would you handle that, Ryan?
3: Well I was just gonna touch on a little bit about my experience, you know, attending some of those calls or getting some support from Constable yes, Funk please. from Travis. Yes, in please. my role as not being a police officer, being an an addictions worker, or a counselor and You know, I've had the experience and the luxury of being able to phone him at any time and his, you know, his demeanor is more psychologist than it is police officer. When he comes to those scenes, I mean, he's police officer first, obviously. Right. But his empathy for people and actually his give a shit is amazing. When I see him talk to somebody who, you know, maybe hasn't had the best experiences dealing with police officers in the past, or one of the first things he asks me a lot of times, um, do you want me in uniform or do you want me in plain clothes? Like he'll come to somebody's house in plain clothes just to kind of ease that atmosphere right off the hop. And it's worked. Oh my gosh. It's worked marvelously so many times. And just to see his demeanor Mm. shift when we go into that room and how he sits on the couch with that individual and talks to him, you know, a, he's a police officer, but man, he gives a shit and he wants to see what that underlying root cause is and, that's where we have our most success is uh, working together collaboratively and figuring out what resources they need. It's not just, you know, let's put the put the lid back on the pressure cooker today and settle things down. Let's figure this out.
2: Well, it's incredibly encouraging to hear that you have all of these wonderful organizations that are working together for the greater good. And we also we often throw out the word uh, de escalation. So when you're dealing with somebody, that's Irrational and very angry. I think it's tantamount. And this question is to either one and and both of you. How important is it that you stay calm and cool and collected? Because it it can be tough. We've all been in situations where I don't want to use the word confrontation, but even hanging out with the buddies, you'll get into an argument over what football team is better. And little by little, you can feel your emotions rise. So, What's the priority of, of trying to put that in the back of your mind to stay calm, to, to
3: help these people that need help? Well, I think, uh, for me, speaking from, you know, the addiction worker side of it, when I go into a situation like that, um, we've talked about it lots in this podcast before. We know what we're able to do. We're, we're definitely not, you know, the police. And if it is a situation where it's going to require some sort of police intervention, I have no problem making that call. But that's not my first go-to. My first go-to is to go in there and kind of feel it out and and make sure that, you know, everybody's going to be safe in that room. But as a counsellor, I've been trained to, you you go into a room and you kind of match the level of the room. But working in this environment, it it doesn't work that way. If somebody's escalated, you got to go in, you know, and I, I speak from my experience, obviously, but with that calm demeanor and just kind of settle things down. And whether that's, you know, listening. That's that's the main thing I do is is you just got to listen because it doesn't matter how escalated someone is there's a reason why they're escalated hmm. and for me to figure that out I have to actively listen and, and you know lots of times it's just meeting a couple little small needs that somebody's overlooked and uh, that'll that'll simmer things down where you can have an actual conversation with somebody and isn't that yeah sorry Brent, no go that's ahead.
0: okay I completely agree it's about being calm being rational watching your tone of voice. Yeah, you know, I had a guy call me yesterday, screaming. He Wouldn't give his name. Uh, two other police officers had hung up on him, and I know why. Uh, so it made it way to my office, and he was—he's mad about the mask bylaw, and uh, screaming. Yeah. And he started off nice. He's, "Well, how are you today?" And I—I I knew that it was coming. I said, "Well, I'm tired." <laughs> and I yawned a couple times when he was yelling at me, and I—I I was just very calm and uh, low voice. And it worked, kind of. I mean, he hung up, but I didn't hang up on him. So it was okay. Yeah. And to answer your one question, the the Packers are the best football team. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll second that. There you go. So it's decided.
2: Are, are they CFL? I, I, I don't watch <laughs> NFL, believe it or not. Oh they goodness. are not. That's blasphemy
4: in this <laughs> room. This whole room just rolled their eyes.
2: CFL. <laughs> you both said something, that listening is a huge skill in making sure that you keep somebody calm and it's easier I mean you think it's simple but it's easier said than done to genuinely listen um, when I try to listen I try to reiterate what I've heard from the person that I'm speaking with uh, as an example Brent you just said and I want to make sure I got this right that the Packers are the best football team ever so I, I think by saying that is is that an example of to show that, hey, I, I am listening, I do hear you. Exactly. I mean, and we, we train in that. Have you ever been in a room with someone?
0: I mean, we we do it all the time, but there's always someone who's quiet and you can tell they're thinking about what's being said and going on. Uh, we have a couple of people like that at work. And then, you know, everyone else usually talks and talks over each other. There's always a couple of people that are very quiet, but when they talk, everyone else is quiet because They've been thinking about what's been said, they've been reflecting on it and they know what they're gonna say and it, it's meaningful and I really like people like that and that helps in in these type of situations. They listen and then
3: when they talk, it's meaningful and and everyone's quiet and listens mm-hmm. for sure and I can't uh, stress how important that is in my role as a professional, in my role with our collective journey, and even in my personal life, transferring those skills into my personal life, man, that's changed my entire world.
2: Yeah, and everything that you do, uh, I call it the Bob Ross syndrome. (laughs) I mean, the master of relaxation, right? I mean, who hasn't watched an episode of Bob? Nobody has ever watched an episode of Bob Ross and felt worse, you know? Hallelujah, yeah. He's awesome. (laughs) He is awesome. Yeah. And, and I really, I genuinely believe that's a reason of why there's been a resurgence of Bob Ross and the joy of painting, especially after last year, because everybody does need to calm down. Yeah. And so, you know, whether it's happy little accidents, or maybe just the, I'm not talking happy little accidents, like what your brand new puppy does at the back door, <laughs> but you know, the Bob Ross kind of happy little accidents. So when I do that, when you do that, when we all do that, I think it's a sign that it's incredibly important that we take time for ourselves as well. Because it's so easy to get caught up in, in the rat race that we call life.
0: It truly is. And we're just inundated by everything all the time through social media, and the, the amount of communication we have is unbelievable. So you have to be able to disconnect and and take time for yourself. Totally agree.
2: Brent, as as somebody who's lived it and who sees it and experiences it, do you have any advice? what What would you say to somebody who's suffering or what would you say to someone who is dealing with somebody who is suffering, regardless of what the issue is?
0: I think if you're suffering, I think a lot of people can feel hopeless. And... They need to know that there's so many people in this community that that are there to help, that are trained to help, and that are are really so eager to do something for someone else. That there, that there's hope. There truly is, and I think that's why we had a lot of suicides this year, and why there's a lot of uh, addictions. And you know, alcohol is is a uh, used as a coping mechanism because people aren't dealing with with a variety of things, but there's so many people there's that are out there to help. And everyone in this room, I know has reached done things personally. We've forgotten about half the things we've done. We've taken time uh, from your family, and you've gone out and helped people because it's the right thing to do. So that's the message that there's help and hope out there. If you're dealing with someone that's going through this, my thoughts are to be patient. These take time, and there's no miracle pill, and there's no miracle cure. You can't go to one session with with somebody like uh, Rick or Ryan, expect them to be fine the next day. It doesn't happen. It takes years, uh, sometimes decades, and, and they will fall. Uh, there's times people relapse, and there's times where they have a bad day or a bad week. It happens. But uh, So if you're dealing with somebody that's got a mental health issue or addictions issue, just... Be patient. Stick with them and and support them.
2: Love and persistence. That's right. Brent, is there, I'm just looking at the time here. Uh, is there, is there any advice? Are there any final words? Are are there any topics that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on today?
0: You know, we we've covered a lot, but uh, I think the people in this room, and Rick and Ryan and Damien, who's not here, but. Uh, what you guys guys have done in the community, uh, I'm sure you've got encouraging word, but it means a lot. So I brought the three of these people in, uh, I think it was last year, to talk to every operational member of the police service. So they came in and told their story and to the members. And I had so many emails after that and go, you know what, that, that meant a lot. Because you guys aren't the typical people we deal with day to day. You're... You're in the community. Your business people. Your you know our coworkers and you're our friends. And when you when police officers see that that what these gentlemen have been through, uh, I think that gave them hope and they realized that oh you know what I can't treat people on the street like a, a number or just another call. They're people. They all have stories. Uh, and and you three are a success story really. And it, it's it's awesome and. It gave them hope. I think the the members as well, and I want to keep doing it. And I know there's so much more we can do. And like I said earlier, I'm so excited what we're gonna do in the next couple of years. It's gonna be awesome.
4: I remember walking in there and and the first couple of times that we went in there, and you would you'd kind of given us the playbook of you know you got about a 15 20 minute window unless phones start ringing, then you know it's the nature of the beast. We gotta go right. So we kind of went in there with the anticipation of, okay, how, do, how you know, we had a little pre-game huddle about, you know, how do we get our message across in 15, 20 minutes, right? And uh, it was pretty wild how we we built, you know, we kind of rehearsed it a little bit, I guess, and kind of came up with a plan for a 15-minute conversation. And I don't know that we ever got out of there under almost two hours. Yeah. You know, yeah. like we we said our bit and it was good, but then... It it started a conversation and then that conversation off spilled into the hallway in the vestibule as we were trying to make it out the door. We were still being stopped and talked to, which was, which was really awesome because that clearly opened up some communication.
2: Yeah. And that's, and that's how it starts. Communication. All it takes is a few words. All it takes is a little bit of time and that will open up all kinds of doors to more conversation with the ultimate goal finding answers, finding love, finding healing uh, as an individual from somebody who's on the outside looking in. If you're dealing with it yourself as a community, as a society, we all suffer and we all benefit together. Mm -hmm. I know that when I speak with you, Rick, and when I speak with Ryan and I speak with Damien who is not able to join us today, it's so easy to to speak with you, and likewise, Brent, I, I know we don't know each other real well except for the double clicks when we <laughs> meet each other on the sidewalk, but speaking with you today, and, and we were talking about that calm demeanor and how I can tell you're, you're listening and I can hear your compassion, I mean, from from the stories that you've told. So it's, it's a true privilege to work with such amazing people, like ryan and rick and and damien and it's equally is an honor to have you part of of our latest podcast so so thank you very much for providing some real life experience and some insight as to what you're dealing with and what those who are suffering are dealing with thank you
0: well thanks for having me it was my first podcast so little apprehensive but it's easy with with the three of you
2: <laughs> i i had no idea that you were a podcast virgin you were absolutely fantastic well thank you
0: first time it's weird headphones and mics
2: yeah, and... It's, it's always weird the first time yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. nice are we still talking about <laughs> are we still recording uh, <laughs> ryan rick any final thoughts from uh from you two
4: uh, I would just like to thank Brent for him, you know, yeah. kind of going out on a limb a bit and trusting the three of us, you know, giving us the opportunity to speak to the, the, the members of the police force because, you know, by all accounts, the three of us are just drug addicts and alcoholics and, and <laughs> maybe, you know, it, it does definitely take take a bit of trust and, and I appreciate that he, he gave us that opportunity. And, and again, like we're, we collaborate <clears throat> fairly regularly now with the police department and and our collective journey with referrals back and forth and uh and yeah I'm I'm excited to see what we can what we can actually help and and create some change within the community and support for those people that need it.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Rick. Ryan, is there anything that you wanted to add? Uh I think I just want to reiterate our gratitude to Brent for taking time out of his day. I know this is like some of the busiest time for anybody right now, and it's even busier for the police service. So thanks for coming down and joining us. Thanks for that Packers plug because I'm on the Packers, the green and <laughs> green and yellow cheeseheads right here. Super oh, Bowl bound this year in the mud, Mary. <laughs> really, we're
2: we're gonna wrap up. The, we're gonna end this podcast <laughs> on football and not
4: even CFL football. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I think I hear an MVP <laughs> chant in the back. Actually,
3: <laughs> yeah, right. But no, um, um, just to to get a little more serious, I think you know we do have some. Very wonderful resources in this community. When I first moved back here and started working here, I, I, was, I was shocked at all the resources. I always say it's like we have big city resources in this small community and uh, it's just a matter of finding them, right? So whether it's, you know, a, a crisis, you know, and you, and you have to contact police or, or contact a crisis team like the one I'm a part of, um Or if it's just, you know, you want a little more education around addiction or mental health, or you want somebody who's been there, you want somebody, you know, some support from a non-judgmental person, you know, that's where our collective journey fits in for sure. Like so many of the people that we, we we've, you know, rounded up and, and they've all volunteered to be part of this, which blows my mind. But, you know, everybody's been through that piece of their own darkness and found their way out of it. And, uh, sometimes that's, you know, what somebody needs is just that, that listening from someone who's been there and and gets it. And, you know, a lot of the individuals that I come across, whether they're referrals from the police service or from the PAC team or the ACT team, a lot of times in my professional day, if I think that that's going to be a huge benefit to them, or that's the piece that they have, you know, missed out on is that connection with somebody who's non-judgmental and has walked the walk. I refer them right over to Rick or Damien or, or one of the other individuals that we have in our small little collection of people here. And, uh, Man, we've seen some pretty cool outcomes so far in this short period of time. So, you know, we're not going to save the world. We're just we're here to one day at a time, and we're going to do our best to and, improve the quality and you're, of it. And you're
2: and you're growing it, and you are a bunch of people that that genuinely care, and you are there for those that are suffering. However, it's those that are suffering. They need to take the first step. I mean, as much as I'm trying to work on my psychic abilities it's not fucking there yet you know <laughs> so you, you have to start somewhere and I think we've learned a lot today of where we can start talking if you're suffering it, it just it, it just open up a little bit and if you're on the other end listening and again I have to stress that if if you're listening to this, this podcast there's a reason why please Go to the OCJ Facebook page and you can get a lot more resources and you have an opportunity to share your story. If you don't want to talk talk about it verbally, I know the crew, they encourage you to share your story via the texting and, and the typing. Brent, thank you so much. Ryan, thank you so much. Rick, thank you so much for being part of our latest series. Much appreciated.
4: Thanks. Thanks, buddy.
1: From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pate, Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a Plugged In Media Network exclusive. Check out this and our other great podcasts at PiMediaNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.